Good morning, everyone. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Yeah, great, good. If you have a Bible, you'll probably want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and it's on page 828, 828 in the Bibles that are in front of you there where you're sitting. Matthew chapter 22. And while you turn to that part of the Bible, let me just say that it's a great privilege to be with you. I'm glad to be with you this morning. I've been here, those of you that may not know, a few times, and uh, your church is very generous to the ministry that I serve, and I'm grateful for that, and it's a great privilege to be with you today. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to read beginning in verse 34. Now, if you've been around the Christian faith much at all, you've probably heard this passage. So listen to what God says in Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have just heard words that you spoke thousands of years ago. And we turn to you now. In this day, seeking for you to be our teacher again. We turn to you like we turn to no other. We love no one like we love you. We hope to see no one like we hope to see you. We trust in you more than we trust in anything or anyone. And so we pray now that you will send Holy Spirit to us that he will come and fill every heart in this room so that our eyes may be opened to see your truth and our ears unstopped to hear you speak and that our hearts may be softened so that we may love you and serve you more faithfully because of this part of your word. And as you do that, we promise you this. We promise that we will give you the praise and we will honor you for it. Amen. I think everyone in here will understand what I mean when I say this. Life is complicated. Now, if you don't feel like your life is complicated, then you're zoned out. You're just not paying much attention. In fact, if you think about it, almost every element of your life, if you get into it very much, can get very, very complicated. Uh, How about that for your marriage? How about that for raising your children? Or how about that for your job? Things get really complicated. In fact, it's even true when it comes to your faith, your religion. It can get terribly, terribly complicated if if you engage it very much. And so every once in a while, and we do it in different ways, but every once in a while, in all these different areas of life, uh, there come times when we need to back out and sort of hit the reset button. If you think about it, have you ever noticed how your cell phone will sometimes just get all gummed up and things won't work? The apps that you thought were just so fantastic, you keep pushing the button and it just doesn't work? Well, you know what you have to do when it gets all that gummed up. 
you have to reboot. You have to start over again. Turn the thing off, start it up again, then maybe it'll work like it's supposed to. Well, that's the way life is, isn't it? That's why you take vacations if you didn't know. That's why you have New Year's resolutions. That's why you have retreats. It's, it's a way of hitting the reset button and saying to yourself, you know what I really need to do is I need to get back to the most basic things, the most important things. And maybe if you've been to like a marriage conference, then you know that what they try to do is say, let's get back to the bottom line of your marriage. Or if you have a work retreat, then they're back to what are our goals? What's the main thing that we're trying to do here? Well, in many ways, that's what this passage is about. This passage is about starting your cell phone, turning it off, rebooting it when it comes to the Christian faith. Because in this passage, a lawyer, that lets you know something right away, comes to Jesus and he says to him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Now, if you know the Bible at all, you know there are lots of commandments in this thing called the Bible, lots of rules, lots of regulations, and you might think to yourself, well, how in the world could Jesus ever get this thing down to a handful of items? But it really wasn't something new. In fact, this is something that rabbis in Israel, and Jesus was a rabbi in Israel, that they had wrestled with for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, The story is told about two different rabbis. There was a Gentile teenager, a teenage Gentile, who came to Rabbi Shammai, and he said, Shammai, I will become a Jew. I will convert to your religion if you can teach me the whole law while I stand on one foot. Well, Shammai was kind of an uptight guy, and he couldn't figure out how to do this, so what he did was he grabbed a stick and he beat this teenage Gentile and drove him away. Can't be done. It's too complicated. I've spent my whole life trying to figure out what this religion thing is about. How can I possibly summarize it for you while you stand on one foot? But then the story goes on that this same teenage boy went to Rabbi Hillel. And he said to Rabbi Hillel, Hillel, I will convert. I'll become a part of your faith if you can teach me the law while I stand on one foot. And with great wisdom, Rabbi Hillel said this to him. Love your neighbor as yourself. The rest of the Bible is just commentary on how to do that. So you see, Jesus is living in a day when people who studied the Bible and studied religion and studied faith, they they wanted to get this thing down to a package, something you could hold on to, get down to the most important thing. They wanted to restart their mobile phones if they had had them so that the apps would work again. And that's why this lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, out of all the commandments in the Bible, out of everything you can tell me about the Bible, which is the greatest? And Jesus responded in a remarkable way, a little bit like Rabbi Hillel. He said, now the greatest commandment of all is, love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he said, and the second one is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to notice something. Jesus said that the second greatest commandment in all of the scriptures is like the first. How is it like the first? How is you shall love the Lord your God like you shall love your neighbor? What makes something similar between those two? Did you hear it? There are three words at the beginning of both of those verses. And what are they? You shall love. Now look, 
I know in a group this size, there are people that are all over the map when it comes to Christianity and comes to faith and things like that. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't even care to even think about it. Maybe you were even forced to be here today by some friend or some relative. I don't know. Then there are others of you here who are sort of on the edge and you're thinking, you know, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian, but I'm just not really all that into it. And others of you are really into it. And you're pushing hard to live for Christ and you're pushing hard to grow in your faith and those sorts of things. But wherever you happen to be, it's a good thing to stop for just a minute and ask the question, what did Jesus consider to be the most important thing of all? That if you get it all down to something you can say while you stand on one foot, what would it be, Jesus? And his answer is, you shall love. You shall love. Now, that stands in sharp contrast to what a lot of us would have said if we were asked that question. What's the most important thing about the faith that we hold? What's the most important thing about the Christian faith? Some of us might have said, oh, I know what it is. You shall learn everything you can possibly learn about the Christian faith. That's the most important thing of all. But it's not what Jesus said. Some of us might say, well, I know, I know. You can't stick with learning. You've got to do more than that. So I know the most important thing. Uh, You shall obey the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the most important thing. Obedience. And believe me, learning and obeying are important elements of the Christian faith. But it's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said, quoting the Old Testament, two different passages, is he said, the greatest commandment is you shall love. And even the second greatest commandment is you shall love. And I think we can understand why. It's because when you use that word love... You're talking about an attitude. You're talking about your heart. You're talking about your affections. You're talking about something that sort of goes underneath the surface for all the other things that a person might do. I mean, let's just face it. When it comes to learning, has anybody reached the limit of the things you can learn from the Bible? I mean, I have spent my whole life trying to learn the scriptures. This is what I do day in and day out, and I've done it that way for some 50 years now. And I can tell you today, in all honesty, I am aware of the fact, better than ever before, that I know less about the Bible than I have ever known. It is endless, the amount that you can learn. And even if you can learn a whole lot, you know the problem? The problem is, is that when you go through life, Uh, you can't even remember it. Man, what did he say last week? That was so important. I I can't even remember what he said last week in that sermon. Oh, I went to this Sunday school class. Oh, it was such a great class. But Well, what did he say? Uh, I don't know. It was great, though. I learned a lot. So, oh yeah, if you want to say that the heart of your faith is, let's learn more, 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 more. The problem is there's always more to learn. And in fact, when you learn something, you can't even remember what you learned. And if you go the obedience route, what's the problem there? Same old problem. I mean, even if you can remember all the instructions of the Bible, which you can't, 
uh, you're going to have a hard time putting them into effect, aren't you? And in fact, the big problem is, is that you've got to pick out the right part of the Bible to apply to that circumstance or the right rule to apply to that circumstance or the right instruction to apply to that person or that person or that situation. And you go, man, this is complicated. You see, I told you it's complex. And so your life, your Christian life gets all gummed up like your phone does. And it's time to hit the reset button. And Jesus says that the way to hit the reset button is to get underneath all this learning, get underneath all this obedience, and get back to what's most important, most important of all. You shall love. Every mother in here knows what I'm talking about. Fathers, I'm not so sure, but mothers do. When you drive your kids to this recital and you drive your kids to this game and you make them do their homework and you prepare meals for them and you wash their clothes and you nurse them while they're sick, there are a million things you do. And some of them are easier to do than others and some of them you like to do more than others and some of them you just absolutely hate doing but you begrudgingly do it. But what's underneath the surface that motivates you to do all the things that you do? Yeah, sitting in that carpool line for hours, spending your whole life in a carpool line. What motivates a mother to do that? The answer is, I love my children. I love them. That's why I do it. Those of you who have jobs, a career, it's so easy for you to forget why you go to work every day. Because you get all wrapped up in, I've got to remember, I've got to remember, I've got to do the right thing, got to do the right thing. And you forget what's underneath all of that, the attitude that's constant. The attitude that ought to be there no matter what the circumstances may dictate that you do or that you believe. The attitude that should be beneath it all. And what is that attitude? Jesus tells us plainly, you shall love. So let me encourage you today that if you wonder if maybe your life has got a little bit too complicated and even your Christian faith has gotten a little too complicated to even remember what's going on in this and you're just kind of going through the motions, doing the right thing because if you don't, somebody's going to get mad at you, then maybe it's time to hit the reset button in your life and to start asking the question, what might it mean to say, you shall love? If it's that important to Jesus, it ought to be important to you and me too. And it ought to be that important to you and me. And if loving is the premier focus of the Bible, we've got a big, big problem today. Because if there is a word that's thrown around more than any other word in our culture today in America, it would have to be the word love it's got to be the one that's used the most. You know the songs. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. All you need is love. Every song you hear on the radio, every concert you go to, they're always talking about love. Every television show you watch, somewhere somebody's doing the love thing. And in our culture, we talk about love in so many different ways that it's hard for us to even know what Jesus had in mind. I mean, we'll talk about loving falling in love with somebody. We'll talk about loving football. We'll talk about loving pizza. 
basically in our culture because our civic religion in America has shifted away from our Judeo-Christian background to a new religion. We now have a new civic religion in America. Did you know that? Let me tell you the God of America now. It's the God Eros, the God of the erotic, which basically means that when we hear the word love, the first thing that comes to our mind is pleasure. I'm going to get pleasure from somebody else and I'm going to give pleasure to somebody else. And as long as we're getting pleasure out of our relationship, whatever form it takes, physical or psychological, uh, whatever it is, if if we're giving and receiving pleasure, well, then we, we have love. You wonder why our families break up so much? It's because that's what we think love is now in our country. Now, if you're super, super generous and you have a broad idea of what love is, then you'll add to that maybe things like, well, love means being kind to people. It means being generous. It means being nice to people. That's love too. And that gives me pleasure and that gives them pleasure. So, okay. So, but that's about all it amounts to for us these days. And whether you believe it or not, and whether you realize it or not, The contemporary notion of what love is has influenced you. That's why some of you in here who have been married for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years could actually say, if you had the nerve, I'm not sure I love that person anymore. That's why some of you could actually say, as your children become teenagers and they individuate from you, become their own person, you sort of wonder, do I really love this person anymore? Well, when you look at the Bible and you look at Jesus and you, and you notice that he says that the great commandment is you shall love, it's good to know that Jesus was not an American living in the 21st century. It's good to know that he wasn't mixed up like we are as to what love is and that he didn't reduce it to something like giving pleasure and receiving pleasure from somebody. That's not what Jesus had in mind. So to, but to understand what Jesus had in mind... You have to get in a time machine with me. You have to go back in time. I mean way back in time. Back to the days of Jesus and even back to the days of the Old Testament that Jesus is quoting here in this passage. Because in the days of the Bible, both in Jesus' day and even prior to him, in Israel and outside of Israel, they used this word love in a way that you and I just don't quite understand anymore. Basically it's this. It was the language of kings. It was the language of kingdoms. It was the language of politics. Can you believe that? I mean, wouldn't it be weird if our politicians got on television and looked at us and said, now the most important thing I want you to do is I want you to love me because I love you so much. We go, what? What's that? So odd, but not in the days of Jesus, not in the days prior to Jesus. In fact, we actually have texts, and if you could read Babylonian and weird things like that, you could actually read this, where kings would speak to their kingdoms, and the number one thing that the kings wanted their people to do, their citizens to do, was to love them. And this is the way they would put it. 
Do you see all the things I've done for you? And they'd go through all the great things they'd done for them, how they have big armies that protect them and how they build roads and how they, they make sure the crops are good. They protect their people from the barbarians and all these other wonderful things that they do for their people. And they say, because of everything I've done for you, the response I want from you is for you to love me. And it did mean to have affection. It did mean, however, more than that. It meant to have gratitude. It meant to have loyalty, devotion. A lot like when people used to talk about loving your country. Loving your country, and even in our world, used to mean being so loyal to your country that you're willing to live for it, to sacrifice for it, and even being willing to die for it. Why would I go to war and fight for my country? Because I love my country. Well, that's the way kings talk to their people. I want you to see all the good that I have done for you. And the response that I want from you is this loyal devotion, this loyal love, a deep-seated affection for me that leads to all kinds of things in your life. But I don't want you to go through the motions. What I want you to go to is your heart because what I really need from you and want from you for the sake of my kingdom is that you love me. Now, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment, he gives an answer that's a little different than what the rabbis gave. Did you notice that? He said the top one, the top commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything you've got. You shall love the Lord your God. And that's actually from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's a wonderful passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 because God tells Israel, he reminds them of all the great things he had done for them, delivering them from Egypt, bringing them through the desert, taking care of them, providing for them, seeing all that, that all their needs were met. And he said, now look, when you think about what I've done for you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that I deserve your love. I deserve your devotion. And it should be deep-seated down inside of you because I don't want you to go through the motions. I want you to have grateful, loyal devotion to me. Think about your life for just a minute. I don't care where you are on the spectrum of faith, whether you're a believer or not a believer. Everybody in this room ought to be able to say to themselves, you know, God's been good to me. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know everybody's got pain, everybody's got suffering, everybody's got disappointment. But just think of all the things that God has done for you. I mean, even if you are not a follower of Jesus, just think for a minute of this world that God has made and given to you. Think of the life that God has given you. I know sometimes we imagine that we're the ones who have made life good. We're the ones who have done all these things, but who gives you every breath you take? Who keeps your heart beating? Now, perhaps you're so young that you think that all these things just sort of happen automatically, but I'll tell you, as you get a little older, you begin to realize that your heart beating is not all that automatic. And health and abilities are not something that just reside in you. But rather that these things are fragile. And that the people who have them are often not even the people who deserve to have them. But rather 
These are things that God himself has given. And even if you're an unbeliever, let me tell you what great privilege you have today. God in this world has done so many things on your behalf, but the greatest thing that he's done on your behalf is that he sent his son Jesus into this world to die for sinners and to be resurrected on the third day so that you could be in a place like this today and hear about Jesus and hear about what God has done through Jesus and be offered right now at this moment, at this very time, be offered the free gift of everlasting eternal life with Jesus so that you can be forgiven of all the failures you have, so that you can find eternal life in him. And it's something that is a great privilege because a lot of people in this world don't have that opportunity. But you've been given that opportunity. And so realizing what God has done makes us then grateful, makes us love him, have affection for him that's deep down inside and then overflows into life. So even if you have not come to Christ, understand the great privileges that God has given to you and contemplate how you'll respond to those privileges. But but those of you who do know Jesus, I know you're weighted down with burdens. I am too. I know you have disappointments. I do too. I know you have pain in your life. I do too. But if you are a follower of Christ, can you not see how he has lavished upon you gifts upon gifts upon gifts, privileges upon privileges? Yes, I know you're struggling in your marriage. Yes, I know that you have a hard time with your children. Yes, I know maybe your health is failing and you're disappointed in how getting old is not for sissies. It's not, by the way. I know there are disappointments and struggles. But take a moment, as Jesus was calling his disciples to do, and to realize that the king of the universe has poured out his lavish love on you. And what he requires of us is not that we simply learn more or that we obey more, but that we love him from deep within our souls. What an honor it is to be told by King Jesus what it means to hit the reset button, to get it back in order again. Love the Lord your God. But do you know the weird thing about this passage that Jesus speaks about love. You know, the weird thing is, the lawyer asked him, can you tell me the greatest commandment? And Jesus did, but Jesus couldn't stop talking. You ever had somebody like that? Somebody just, you know, you'll ask them a question and they'll just keep going on and on and on and on. You're talking to them on the phone and eventually you put the phone out like this because you just can't stand it anymore. Well, in some respects, that's what Jesus did. He said, okay, I'll tell you the greatest commandment, but I can't stop there because the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what's bizarre about this is a lot of us in here have heard of Deuteronomy. That's an Old Testament book. And you may even have read the book of Deuteronomy. But this second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, comes, I'm sure, from your favorite book in the Bible and your favorite chapter in that book. You ever heard of the book Leviticus? That's where it comes from. 
You ever heard about Leviticus chapter 19? That's where love your neighbor as yourself comes from. Leviticus chapter 19, you know, right next to where it tells men not to shave, not to trim their beards. Right in those chapters where it talks about where you dig the latrines. Your favorite part of the Bible, right? And here we are in that part of the Bible, and Jesus says right there, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, for you and me, putting those two passages together as the first and the second greatest commandment, we wonder why in the world would Jesus do that? Because, you know, I am grateful to God for what he's done. I can understand how I should love him, but why does he connect it to loving my neighbor as myself? Well, get in that time machine again with me. And go back. I mean, back to the days of emperors and kings and kingdoms and all those kinds of things. And remember that the great king would say to his people, I want you to love me because of all that I have done. Well, Jesus picks up on Leviticus 19 on another kingdom talk. Another kingdom image. The way kings talk to their people. And this is the way it went. As they expanded their kingdoms... They would say to people in different regions of their kingdom, they'd actually write this down. I don't want you simply to love me as your king. I want you to love each other. So I want those people over there, I want you to care about those people over there. And those people there, about those people there. So that when those people have a famine, I want you to help them out. When they have trouble over here, I want you to come to their aid. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to love your neighbor. And why would kings in the ancient world say such a thing as that? It's because that's the only way you could have a strong kingdom. It's the only way you could have an empire that would continue to expand would be that if this part of your kingdom loved that part of your kingdom, if those people who really didn't like each other kept on loving those people over there and would come to their aid, great kings in the world of the Bible understood that the only way to have a strong kingdom was if their citizens stood arm in arm with each other. And so they called on their citizens to love each other so that their kingdoms would be strong. And now we know why Jesus says to us, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the only way that the kingdom of Jesus will be strong. If you love God as your king, and if you want to see his kingdom move forward in this world, if you want to be a part of that, then Jesus makes it very plain that what's essential to this is that you love you, and you love you, and you love you. We must stand together in love, allies for the sake of our great king. And if that can seep into your soul, it can answer a lot of questions that a lot of you are struggling with today. Why should I try to love that man that I call my husband? Why should I strive to love that woman I call my wife? Why should I love my rebellious children? Why should I have affection for them? Why should I forgive? Why should I be generous? Why should I be merciful? Why should I tolerate them? Why should I work hard at this? 
Why do I need to love the person who sits next to me at work? When in many ways they're my enemy. Why do I need to love not just people in this church, but people in the next church? The answer is very simple, really, when it comes to the Bible. For Jesus' kingdom, for Jesus the king, because for his kingdom to be strong, we must stand together. The damage that is caused when our marriages fall apart is the damage to the kingdom of God. As hurtful as it is to you, as painful as divorce is to you, it is also painful, it is also damaging to the cause of our great king. When parents give up on their children, it's not just hurting the child and hurting you as a parent, it's hurting the kingdom. When church members fight against each other and divide and move against each other and do politics within the church and things like that, it's not just damaging to human relationships, it's damaging to the king's kingdom. And so, if you are a lover of Jesus, if you understand the good things that God has done for you, you will work hard. You will devote yourself. You'll take that deep breath and hit that reset button and say, I can love my husband. I can love my wife. I can love the people in my church. I can love the people who have harmed me. I can love the people who are against me because I'm going to do it for the sake of my great king's kingdom. And how important was that to Jesus? Because if you've been around Christianity at all, you know, loving other people and things like that, that's a nice thing we say to each other, and we, we sort of figure, yeah, we ought to do that. But you know, remember, Jesus was just asked to say one commandment, and he couldn't say one, he had to say two. And the reason is this, is because Jesus saw these two things as interlocked, because he was a king. He knew his citizens needed to love him, and he knew that his citizens needed to love each other for his kingdom to be strong. Think about it this way. You ever been at the finish line of a marathon? You know, if you're at the finish line of a marathon, number one may cross the finish line. And number two, second place, you may not even see second place. He might be around a corner somewhere. Number one is usually a Kenyan or somebody like that, you know, who way ahead of everybody else. Number two, far in the back. That's a distant second. That's the way it is often in marathons. But now think about a sprint. And you know what it's like in a sprint if you watch the Olympics and those sorts of things. You know that to distinguish between first place and second place often requires a photo finish, right? They take a photograph. And it's just the one who happens to get his or her nose over just right or puts the chest out just right to hit the line first. And you really can't tell with the naked eye. You have to have a photograph to know. Well, what Jesus is telling us today is this. Loving God, which every Christian in here wants to do and would say, yes, I'm going to try to do that better because he has done so much for me, is a photo finish with loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving the other citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Let me tell you something. If you have number one in the frame of a photo finish at a sprint, you know who else is in the picture frame? Number two. That's why the Bible is so clear that you cannot love God whom you cannot see unless you love your brother and sister 
whom you can see. So rather than thinking of loving your neighbor as something that's a distant second, it's a photo finish in your life and my life. And why? For the sake of the king. So here we are in a day when if you've given any attention to your faith at all, you know it gets pretty complicated. But I was led today to come to you with this message. And that is, there's going to come a time, and maybe the time is right now, when you need to reboot your phone, reboot your life. You need to hit the reset button and get back to the top priorities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus made it very plain what those who love him will do. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind and you shall love your neighbor as yourself if we will commit ourselves to what Jesus thought was important you'll be surprised how that attitude that heart condition will blossom into good things in your life let's pray together our Lord Jesus how we bless you that you have not left us to fend for ourselves in all the complexities of life because we are a people who get easily confused and who get the priorities all mixed up. But we bless you now and we thank you that when that lawyer asked you what's the greatest of them all, you gave a perfect answer. But Holy Spirit, we come to you now And we say this to you. We've heard you speak, but we have no power in ourselves to embrace these teachings. So we come to you. And may the power that you used to resurrect Jesus from the dead, may that power now live in us so that by your mercy we may may become the kinds of people who love you and who love our neighbors. And we will praise you for it. Amen.